Well, let me see here. Let's jump into a table discussion, and this is the question. What has been your biggest takeaway this semester about forgiveness? Just take a few minutes. Maybe it's a favorite quote. Maybe it's a verse that really stuck out at you. Uh, Maybe it's something that you discussed around the table, but take a few moments, talk about it around your table. We'll come back together. All right, guys, I hope that... um, I hope that you've been able to take away some things, and I hope as we kind of close out our time together tonight that maybe you'll take to heart the things that we've talked about, and if there's somebody that you need to forgive or somebody that you may need to ask to forgive you, that you'll walk away and do that tonight. I think I messed this up. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on. Um, But what I want us to do is I want us to look at a passage in Luke, okay, And we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, and it's a story that's extremely familiar. It's a story that you all know. What happens in the beginning of Luke chapter 15 is you've got the story, you've got the parable of the lost sheep, then Jesus gives the parable of the lost coin, and then Jesus gives this parable of the lost son, okay? Uh, We we call him the prodigal son, and you know the story very well. The story is told uh, in the Bible, but it's also used in all kinds of movies and stories, and even people that aren't consider themselves Christian or even religious will use this story for a story of more morality or uh, a story of doing what's right. I want us to look at it from the lens of the father and the other brother for just a moment and ask a couple questions. But essentially what happens is, I know you know the story, but in case you don't or, or need to be refreshed... The story goes that the father had two sons, and I believe the father was fairly well off, because one day the younger son comes to the father and he says, Father, give me my portion of the estate. I want what is due me, okay? I want what is mine. Now, can I just make a statement? If one of my sons comes up and says something like that, it's not just going to be like, let me just disperse this to you, okay? Uh, I, I don't, I don't we, don't, we don't talk like that in my house, but for whatever reason, I don't know how old this guy was, but he was of age enough where the father said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And so the father divides the estate up, he gives the young man uh, his portion of it, and it says a couple days later, the young man leaves. He takes all of his belongings, he packs it up, takes all of his belongings, all of his money, and he leaves. He goes to a faraway country, and he splurges. I mean, he just lives life however he wanted to. He blows all of his money. Now, it's easy to look at a guy like that and say, are you kidding me? But if you look at guys, um, if you look at guys that are in the NFL or the NBA, and they have this, this time where they're four, five, six, eight years in, and they make millions and millions and millions of dollars, studies show that like three years after they get out, they are broke. Right? They have no idea how to use that money. And by the way, if you were lost and you were young, and somebody handed you $20 million, how would you have spent it? Okay, put yourself in their shoes for just a minute. Well, that's exactly what happens to this guy. He just takes, and he blows through all of his money. He lives life however he chooses to, and he finds himself in a place where he's hungry. How many of you know when you're hungry, you'll work? I remember being in college, and um, I was on a basketball scholarship, which paid for almost everything. There was a couple things that it didn't. And my parents didn't have any money at the time, and I didn't have a job, and I had no money in the bank. I think I had about 10 bucks. And I can remember being so, so broke that my truck broke down, ended up just being the battery. It sat there almost a year because I had no money to take care of it. I can remember being so broke that I cleaned toilets in the dorm, and every Saturday night I went to a private university, and so we were required to go to church on Sunday mornings. And so every Saturday night I would put a sign on my door that said, 
ironed garments, 50 cents a piece, and guys in my dorm would hang their, jack, their, their shirts and their khaki pants on my door, and I would iron all Saturday night, and I would take that money and have some money to go eat the next day. So I know what it's like to not have money. You, you are willing to do whatever it takes. That's where this guy finds himself. He is so broke, the only job he can find is feeding some guys pigs. So he's out in the field, he's feeding these guys pigs, and all of a sudden he's so hungry that he realizes the only food he has, the only food he has access to, the only food he could afford is what this guy is throwing away and giving to his pigs. And it was at this moment that he had hit rock bottom. Now, I'm not a genius, but if you gave me a million dollars and I started to get down to around 100000 really, really quick, I think I'd be like, you know, I probably need to change my lifestyle. And if it got down to around $20,000 or $10,000 or $500, I'd probably try to start making some changes. This guy got all the way to the very bottom. And it wasn't until he got to that moment that he realized what he needed. It's amazing. Sometimes God has to take us to the very bottom in order to get us where he wants to take us. And so he's gotten this young man to the very bottom And he realizes, I could go back and be one of my daddy's servants because they eat better than this. So he formulates this plan in his mind. I think on the road, the trip home, he was probably formulating the language he was going to use and how he was going to apologize to his father, the words he was going to use. And all he wanted to be was a servant of his dad. And I get goosebumps every single time I read this verse. Because you know exactly what happens when he gets in eye distance of the home. It says in Luke 15, 20, So he got up and came to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. I love this story. Because the son is in the middle of his apology when the father cuts him off. He doesn't even give the son the opportunity to finish his sentences and give him what his idea was. I'll just want to be one of your servants. He cuts him off. Why? Because that's his son. Nothing has changed other than he has a little less money. He hadn't seen a son in a while. He doesn't know where he's been But I can promise you this, that daddy was excited to get his son in his arms again. I grew up in northwest Arkansas. I lived there for about 11 years, and we moved to Memphis for my dad to go to Mid-America across the street. And I've not lived back in northwest Arkansas since 1996, and I only get back there every few years. And so a couple weeks ago, my aunt passed away, and so I went back, and and my dad and I had the opportunity to preach her funeral and while we were there, I hadn't seen my father in, in, in a, I think it was a couple months. It was only a couple months. We talked on the phone three or four times a week. We talked yesterday. But when we got to his house and I got out of the car, he was right there at the door to give me a hug. He said, I missed you. I love you. Because that's a father. Love their son. This is the situation we find ourselves in here. The prodigal son has come home. All he wants is to be a servant, and yet the father quickly offers him forgiveness quickly. He doesn't lecture him. 
He doesn't tell him any of his concerns. He doesn't tell him that he's not going to be able to get his room back and have the same toys he had before. He doesn't remind him that there's nothing left for him here other than his family because everything else that is there is his brother's. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't question him. Why did you do this? What was your motives? He doesn't question him on where have you been? Who have you been with? How did you waste your money? He is excited to see his son. Well, we know what happens in the next couple verses. The older brother comes back. The older brother is not happy. Why is he not happy? Well, he's jealous for one. He's jealous because daddy has taken this big fat calf, he's killed it, and he's thrown a party. He is so excited to see the younger son, and the older brother is struggling with jealousy. He's struggling with resentment. He's struggling with bitterness. He's probably hating his brother a little bit, but he's also really angry at his father. Why would you give him this, and you're not giving this to me? I look at the brother, the younger brother, and I say, wow, you did all these things against your father, but you also did these things against your brother, and both of their responses are very different. It's still family, but yet the father is quick to forgive. The brother is holding on to something that he is unwilling to let go of. And so I wanted to put myself in this situation this morning as I was reading and praying and just kind of finishing up. I was like, Lord, where would I have fallen in this situation? And I can answer it this way. I really don't know. It's easy to look at someone else's situation and say, if I was in that situation, this is what I would do. This is how I would respond. This is how I would react. I really don't know how I'd react. I would like to think I would have been quick to forgive like the father, but I more tend to think I probably would have been more like the brother. I probably would have been a little bitter. I probably would have been a little angry. The question is, what do you do with that? And so I want us to ask the question, I want us to ask this question, two, two questions that I want us to talk about at the table. Why do you think forgiveness seemed easy to the father? It seemed to come natural. Now, I don't know if it was natural. I don't know if it was pushed. I don't know if it was something he had been praying about and was already prepared for that moment. But what I do know is when a long ways off, he saw his son, he ran to him and would not even allow the son to get out all of the words of an apology before he had already forgiven him. He had already forgiven him. The brother was a different story. So the questions I want you to ask is why did... Why do you think forgiveness seemed easy to the father, and why did the brother not want to forgive? What were those pieces that seemed to be there that seemed to keep the brother from willing to forgive? I want you to talk about it at your tables for a few moments, and then we'll come back together. All right, guys, it's interesting to me. I think there's a difference in a relationship between a father and son and a brother and brother. But there's also this dynamic for the older brother between between himself and the father. So there's a, kind of di- a couple different dynamics here. He's bitter at the brother for taking what, he was, what, was, what was rightly his. And now he's bitter at the father for celebrating that the son has come home even though he walked in disobedience. And he's also bitter because he had been back there working the whole time. And so there's all these emotions. How many of you know that bitterness and those types of things can rise up in you very quickly and they can settle very quickly? So <clears throat> my wife and I, well, let me rephrase that. My wife decided we were going to go on a diet. And so Monday morning, we started, okay? Now, I, I'm in favor of this diet because I, I need it, okay? I, need, I just need to start eating healthier, okay? And so over the last 48, well, when I got up this morning, I thought, it's been 48 hours, okay? I weighed in Monday morning. It's been 48 hours. And I've literally starved myself for 48 hours, okay? I have literally eaten salad. Carrots, I've eaten more pickles in the last 48 hours, and that's about it, okay? I hadn't had a whole lot else, okay? 
So when I got up this morning, my wife and I went on a walk early this morning. We, we, we did our walk, and I was feeling good, and I said, I'm going to go take a shower, and I'm going to wait before I take a shower. And she goes, I wouldn't do that if I were you. I said, baby, I have to have lost at least 12 pounds. I, I have literally starved myself for 48 hours, and I can guarantee you I have lost a lot of weight. She said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. So I go in the bathroom, take my shorts off, my shirt, and I get up on that scale, and I have gained a pound. She was three rooms away, and she could hear me talking about it, okay? I was so mad. I looked up, and I was like, really? This is what you're going to do to me? Really? I'm going to eat like this and, and work out and try to do better, and I'm going to gain a pound. Really? And my wife, I hear from the other room, I told you so. Now, I know none of you have ever heard that. I can't stand those words because she's always right. She said, I told you so. And just for that split moment, I was just a little bitter. I was a little bitter. And I was reminded at how bitterness can so quickly change. You know why? Because an hour prior, I had been in the Word this morning. And I had prayed. I had written some things down that, the Lord had, that, that I thought the Lord had shown me. My wife and I had just gone on a three-mile walk. We had had great conversation. We talked together. We talked about the day. We talked about the week. We talked about our kids. I mean, I was excited about the day. We've had squirrels in our attic for seven weeks. I had a guy coming out to get the squirrels out today. I mean, it's just going to be a good day. And just like that, it was completely ruined. And I was reminded that even something so silly and simple could change my attitude just like that. Now, when it's something so simple, we can get over those things very quickly, but when it cuts a little bit deeper than that, it's where it begins to become difficult. And I think the brother had experienced something that he was unwilling to let go of. Can I just make a statement? God desires that we not hold on to what he didn't hold on to when he looked at us. He desires that we offer grace and mercy. You see, that older brother had the same ability. He could have asked for his money, he could have gone and done the same thing, and had he come home, his father would have responded the same way. But what happens is, oftentimes, is we hold on to these things. And so I want to remind us of three things today. Three things tonight. We've talked about these throughout the last few weeks but I want to remind them of us, and then I want us to do an exercise together. Now, don't, not, not an exercise. We're not going to try to lose weight, okay? I'm talking about exercise at the table, okay? I've done enough exercising today, and it did nothing. So I'm sleeping in tomorrow, and I'm having two candy bars on the way out, okay? All right. Number one, Jesus demonstrated how to forgive. Jesus Christ forgave. As a matter of fact, he forgave those guys that nailed him to the cross, he was on the cross. He looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As they nail him to the cross, he's literally bleeding to death. He's dying. One of his last breaths was to forgive the guys that nailed him there. I love what it says in Luke 23, 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. So Jesus is looking down, he, he sees it, they're casting lots, they're, they're gambling over his clothes, they're excited because they've, they've been a part of this, and here he is, he's offering forgiveness. He's offering for forgiveness to them, and they don't even deserve it. And he offers forgiveness to each and every one of us. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, you will be saved. And in that salvation, we receive the gift of of God through eternal life, but also that gift of forgiveness. The Bible tells us that he washes us white as snow. It's that 
idea of justification. You've heard that word, justification. I heard one guy describe it like this. He said, justification means just as if I never sinned. So when he forgives us, he washes us white as snow and totally and completely forgives that. And Jesus offers that to everybody. So what I love about Jesus, and maybe you'll show me differently, I can't find something that Jesus demanded out of us that he didn't first demonstrate. He always demonstrates. And that's what a good father does. I don't tell my kids to go do this, that, or the other before I show them how to do it. Now, my kids are playing sports right now, and, and, and we're working on basketball and trying to get better, but there are certain things that I can coach them a little bit with words, but the majority of it is getting out there and demonstrating and showing them how to do it. And when it's demonstrated to them, they're able to do it a lot easier because they can visually see it. And so Jesus demonstrates what it is to forgive. The second thing is, you are commanded to forgive. You are commanded to forgive. It's not up for debate. When my father and I, I was probably about 13 or 14 years old, and my father was sharing the gospel with a guy. And he shared the gospel, and when he got to the end, my dad said, would you like to give your life to Jesus? And the guy said, I sure would. And I, I got excited because, you know, a lot of times you share the gospel, share the gospel, and, and people don't get saved. And this is one of those opportunities, we're going to see this guy get saved. We're going to see God do a miracle right here. And my dad said, okay, now before, you, before we pray and you give your life to Jesus, I just need to make sure you understand a couple things. He said, um, you, you're going to have to change some things. And the guy said, really, like what? And he said, well, you you're going to need to kind of change the way you live a little bit. He said, well, what, well, what do you mean? He said, well, when Jesus comes into your life, he changes you. And you no longer desire the same thing. So your movie selection may change. And your extracurricular activities may change. And your language may change. And the way you think may change. And what you do with drugs or alcohol may change. And he kind of goes on this whole list of things. The guy's eyes kept getting bigger and bigger. And he said, you mean to tell me that I have to do all those things in order to give my life to Jesus. And my dad said, oh, no, 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 don't, don't misunderstand me. You get to do all those things. Because when Jesus Christ comes into your life, you no longer desire those things. He changes you. But what I want you to understand is just by saying a couple words and going right back in and living the exact same life you've been living, that's not salvation. Salvation is when you get changed by Jesus Christ. My dad said, is that something you want to do today? And he said, could I have some more time to think about it? And my dad said, absolutely. How much time do you think you need? He said, you, my dad gave him a little track. He said, could I take this home and the Bible you gave me and could I read a little bit over the next couple weeks and then you call me or we get back together and we can talk about it? My dad said, absolutely. And I remember driving away that day and I asked my dad, I said, dad, I've heard you share the gospel with people many times and I've never heard you do that before. I said, why'd you do that? And he said, Derek, sometimes we make it so easy that people don't even understand what they're doing. And they don't actually give their lives to Jesus. They just mumble some words. He said, I just wanted to make sure that he understand. He said, because did you, did you notice that he had a joint rolled up and tucked in his pocket right there? And I said, no, I didn't notice that. He said, did you notice in his back pocket he had a, a big bottle of, of whiskey? I said, no, I didn't notice that. He said, did you notice that the guy used a bunch of profanity the whole time we were, talking, we were talking with him? I said, oh, I definitely noticed that. And he said, I just wanted to make sure that he understood that things change. Well, here's one of the things that changes. Because what my dad told that guy right before we walked away is he said, see, 
what I want to make sure you understand is, when you give your life to Jesus, you forfeit your rights as a person. You forfeit your rights. See, we live in a culture that's all about my rights, what I want. Well, my feelings have been hurt. Well, my pride has been hurt. Well, they stepped on my toes. Well, my name has been drugged through the mud. What about Jesus Christ? What about his name? Is our job to bring glory to ourselves, or is our job and calling as believers to bring glory to God? And I would submit to you, That every time we are unwilling to forgive, we are not bringing glory to the Father. And we're not bringing glory to ourselves. We're pointing people away from Christ himself. And so we're commanded to forgive. All through scripture, Jesus said, if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. What does Paul say to the church of Ephesus right here? He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgive each other. Forgive. We are called, we are commanded to forgive. The last thing I want to remind you of is this. Always remember, you have been forgiven even of your biggest sin. Always remember, you have been forgiven even of your biggest sin. Now, I don't think necessarily that the Lord looks at sins as big sins and small sins. I think sin is sin. Because if I look at what Adam and Eve did in the garden, they disobeyed and then they lied basically, but they didn't kill anybody. I mean, it wasn't like you know Adam murdered Eve or something. The bottom line is it was sin. And anything we do that God says don't do, that's sin against the holy God. But I do believe that there are some sins that are different than others. I think I've heard Brother Steve say, you know, if someone, you know, says something ugly to you, you could get over that. But, if, you know, if they, if they killed somebody or something, that would be a, a different thing. So there's different consequences to sin, and there's different weights of sin for sure. So I just want you to think about the biggest sin you've ever committed for just a moment. Now, don't go back and relish in it or anything like that. Don't go back and beat yourself up. I just want you to think for just a moment. Maybe it was a lie. Maybe you stole somebody. Or some money or something. Maybe, maybe you cheated on a, on a test. Maybe you cheated on your spouse. Maybe you embezzled money. Maybe you beat somebody. Maybe you're like a friend of mine who was driving his car one day and looked down and when he looked up it was too late to hit his brakes and He hit the car in front of him and that girl died. You say, well, was that a sin? Well, he was going a little little fast. He didn't have time to react. And he's got to live with that every day. And occasionally I'll ask him how he's doing with it. And he said, you know what? It's amazing that the grace of God has forgiven someone, even someone like me. Maybe you're even like the guy that I read about this past week. And I thought about showing this video, but it, it... the sound was not really good, and so I, I didn't know if we'd be able to hear it in here. But he's a guy that spent some time in prison. He was falsely accused for a murder. But what was very true was that he had actually done a whole lot of horrible crimes and deserved to be in prison. But when it was finally came out, years and years and years later of being in prison, he was released from prison. And he got saved. And he said, every day I wake up and I realize the freedom I have in Christ 
He said it has nothing to be outside. He said it, it's nothing to be outside the walls of that jail. It's everything to be free from the things I've committed against the Lord. And I want to remind you that in your darkest moment of your life, that maybe nobody else knows about, and maybe nobody else ever will know about, Jesus knows. And he loves you so much that he forgives you. He demonstrated it. He commanded it of us. And I want us to remember that we are given that gift of forgiveness each and every day. Each and every day. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to do two things. The first one, it's just going to be a table discussion. I'm not going to put the question up on the board. But, but the question is just this. In your life, I want you to just talk just for a moment about a situation where you had to forgive somebody and you struggled a little bit with it. Okay? You don't have to go into all the details about it. Maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a coworker, But just kind of in 60 seconds or, or less, I want you to tell the guys around your table, there was a time, some, this, this happened, this is kind of exactly what happened, but not all the details. And it was really difficult, but I forgave. I forgave, even though I didn't want to, but I knew I needed to. I want you to just talk about that for just a moment. Then we're going to come back, and i got an exercise I want us to do together. In the last 15 to 20 minutes we have together, uh, I want us to do an exercise together. I want to read you a quote. I didn't put it on the, the screen, but I want to read you this quote out of the conclusion of his book. It says, forgiveness is not total forgiveness until we bless our enemies and pray for them to be blessed. Forgiving them is a major step. Totally forgiving them has fully been achieved when we set God free to bless them. But in this, we are the first to be blessed, and those who totally forgive are blessed the most. Those who totally forgive are blessed the most. I've heard stories of people going and asking for forgiveness, and there be an issue on both sides, and the other person not saying the same thing. So both of them are wrong. One person says, will you please forgive me? The other person is wrong too, but all they say is, I abs- absolutely, I completely forgive you. And at first you would think, well, but you owe me an apology. That's not your job. You've been convicted to ask for forgiveness. You've done that. They've given it. Now you walk away and you just ask God to bless them. You ask God to bless them. This is what he calls us to do. This was the most impactful piece of the whole book for me because I came to a realization the people that I said I had forgiven in my past, I was still praying that God would deal with them. And I had to come to a point where I said, Lord, I completely release them to you. And I'm just asking you, Lord Jesus, to bless them. I think I shared a couple weeks ago, my wife and I had a friendship that was restored after we began to pray that God would bless them. I'm not saying it always happens like that. But I am saying that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to do that. So here's what I want you to do. you got some blank sheets of paper, just a little piece of card stock on your table, okay? And this is not for y'all to talk around the table. This is for you to take this piece of paper and a pen, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down on here the person or persons you need to forgive. Nobody else is going to see it. You're not turning it in. You're not going to leave it on the table. You don't have to show it to your spouse. You don't have to show it to the guys at the table. This is just for you and the Lord. 
But sometimes what we need to do in order to get to a place is we got to take the first step. This is the first step. I want you to write their names down. Just at the top of the card, whatever their names are, Jack, Bill, whatever it is, I don't, David, doesn't matter. Write, write their names down right there. And then go about halfway down the card, and we're going to do that in just a minute. And about halfway down the card, I just want you to write down anybody that you need to ask to forgive you. You say, whoa, now you're messing with my pride. Yeah, but do we want to walk in freedom or not? Do we want to walk in victory the way Jesus has designed it? Because Jesus has defeated all that stuff on the cross. And are we going to give that over to the Lord? So I want you to write down anybody. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a friend. I, I had someone come up to me last week and say, what about somebody that happened like back in grade school and now I'm older? I don't think you have to go look that person up on Facebook. Believe me, they've not been sitting over there for the last 50 years saying, well, I just can't believe, you know, he told me to get out of the way, okay? They've probably moved on by now, okay? If you still have a relationship with them, that's fine. If not, I don't think you have to drive to South Carolina and apologize to them, okay? What you are going to do is you're going to confess that to the Lord, and you're going to say, Lord, please forgive me. Now, maybe you've done that already, and that's fine. You don't have to do that. But I want you to write down the names of the guys or ladies, people that you need to forgive, and then I want you to write down the name or names of the people you need to ask to forgive you. Now, you're going to take about three or four minutes. We're going to have a little bit of music playing. You're going to do that, and then I'm going to bring it back in just a moment. We're going to talk about the next thing. About three weeks ago, I was in Springfield, Missouri for the National Homeschool Basketball Tournament. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a big deal. There was over 500 teams there. There was about 20,000 between players and spectators in the city of Springfield. They played at 16 different gymnasiums, and there were games from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. My family and I were there for my oldest son and daughter to play games. And in the organization we play for here in Memphis, the Memphis Home Education Association, uh, there are 13 teams that were playing at that tournament. And so each night, after all the scores and everything came in and all the wins and losses, I would sit up late, I mean like midnight, and I would put together our schedule for the next day. Okay, so our 12U boys won at this time, which means they're going to play at 9 a.m. at this gym, and then as soon as that game's over, we're going to get in the car, and we're going to drive 20 minutes up here to watch our varsity boys play, and then as soon as that ends, we're going to drive real quick to Dunkin' Donuts to get a donut, and then we're going to hit the gym right there, we're going to watch the 14U girls, and it was just like putting a puzzle together to be able to get my kids around to not only play their own games, but to watch all of our other teams play. And we cheered hard. But I worked hard each night. It took me a long time to map out our day. I would use the GPS. I would write everything down. I would get it all put in a spreadsheet. And then I would text it to my mom and dad who were in another hotel room and her mom and stepdad who were in another hotel room. So we're all on the same page. It was, it was miserable, okay? It was miserable, that portion of it. There was so much planning, so much thought, and I had a map and I had to do all this stuff just to get it ready. But the, but the thing is, you and I will plan out things that are important to us. We will set action steps. We will stay up late. We will work hard to get it done. But when it comes sometimes to things like this, we just think, well, if it happens, it happens. So what I want us to do tonight is I want you to actually put down an action step. I want you to actually formulate a plan of how you're either going to ask for forgiveness or you are going to forgive someone else. See, Jesus had a plan. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever 
believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What did God do? He had a plan. It wasn't plan B or C after what happened in the Garden of Eden. It was his plan all along. That Jesus Christ would step out of a perfect heaven. He would come down to an imperfect world. He would live a sinless life. He would die a horrific death. He would raise a victorious resurrection and is now seated on the throne and offers the gift of forgiveness to each and every one that would call upon the name of Jesus Christ. He had a plan. And so what I want us to do is I want us to put together a plan. Now, I didn't put on this paper. I've already already done this. I did this about nine months ago. There was somebody I had to write a letter to. There was somebody I had to call. And there was somebody I haven't had a relationship with in like 30 years. And so I just had to release that to the Lord. So there's all different types of ways you can do this. Maybe, just maybe, you need to pick up the phone on your drive home tonight and you need to call your brother or you need to call your sister that you hadn't talked to in a long time and you need to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Or maybe you need to call them and say, I forgive you. It's been years since we've spoken, but I forgive you. Maybe you need to sit down and you need to write out a letter to somebody, somebody that hurts you deeply, And you don't know if you can look them eye to eye right now because you don't know how you would get it out. And you need to sit down and formulate all of your words on a piece of paper so that you can adequately say to them either, I forgive you or please forgive me. Maybe you need to get in the car tomorrow and you need on your lunch break to drive to your old job and you need to look your boss in the eyes and say, I did not leave on good terms. I was angry at you. But I want you to know I forgive you, and I pray that you will be blessed. Maybe somebody in here needs to drive home tonight. You need to walk up to your wife, and you need to say, I'm sorry. I want you to formulate your own plan. I want you to write it down on this card. I want you to take three or four minutes And I want you to develop a plan of how you are going to release this to the Lord so that you can follow through with it and then walk in victory. Take a few moments as the music plays, and then we'll come back together. All right, guys. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and do that. Whatever you wrote down on that card. I'm convinced that sometimes we sit through a sermon and Brother Steve just preaches his heart out. I mean, he just gives everything that he has, that the Lord has shown him. Even just physically. I mean, he's just given everything he has. And the Spirit moves, and we're convicted, and then we sing a song, and we all go home, and we do nothing with it. Now, maybe that's just me. But I've been in the invitation before, the Holy Spirit's just working on me. I'm convicted, and he's just working And then I go right back into the normal, everyday thing. Do not let that happen. I don't know who said it. I know a lot of people have said it. I don't know who said it, but it's never too late to do the right thing. So you may say, I should have forgiven them 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50. I don't care. Do the right thing. Jesus demonstrated it. He commanded it of us. And if for no other reason, I want you to remember, he has forgiven you of everything even your biggest, darkest sin. I want to encourage you to capitalize on the time we've had together. I want to encourage you to take your card and hold on to it. 
and follow through with it. So if you need to write a letter, write the letter. If you need to make a phone call, make, a fo- make the phone call. If you need to just release it to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. I can't do anything about it. This person has passed away. Or I've tried to apologize. I've tried to forgive this person. And they won't have anything to do with me. Then you just release it to the Lord and you walk in freedom. You've done what you could. But I want you to do whatever you've written on that piece of paper. I want you to take it home. Tonight, I want us to drive a stake in the ground and say, it's over. I am done holding on to this bitterness. I am done holding on to this unforgiveness. And I am releasing it to the Lord. And then what you do tomorrow, let me tell you what you do tomorrow. And the next day and the next day, you wake up in the morning and you rejoice in the Lord because it is the day he has made. And you are to rejoice and be glad in it. And you take up your cross, you die to yourself, and you follow after Christ, and you choose that day to forgive that person again. And you, you don't just keep bringing it up and living in the past, but I continue to walk in this attitude of forgiveness, and you just pray God will bless them. Put them on your prayer list. Add them to your prayer list and just pray God will bless them. You developed your plan. I hope you wrote something down, and I want to challenge you. Sometimes I think we just kind of sugarcoat things and water things. I'm challenging. I'm, I'm saying man up and do what you wrote on that card. Man up and do what you wrote on that card. Well, guys, that's really what I think the book is all about, getting us to a place where we are able to totally forgive. And I, I hope that you enjoyed the book. I hope as you read it like myself or we went through it in here that you were convicted and that you have come to a place where you do not want to hold on to that anymore. Tonight is our last night together in the gym, and we will meet again next semester, which will not be until September. So we've got some time, all right? And uh, we're still kind of working on exactly what next semester will look like, so I don't have a theme or anything exactly what we're going to do today. I'm going to get with the table hosts. Can we just give them a round of applause to the guys that have been at these tables that have helped lead us? I'm going to get with them and, and kind of pick their brains a little bit and, and see what we can do to, to make this better, to sharpen one another, one another, and to encourage one another more, okay? But here's what I want to challenge you to do on top of what you're already challenged to do. I want to encourage you to not quit coming on Wednesday nights. We've got some great stuff going, um, and so I'm going to give you those Wednesday night groups that you can be a part of that start beginning next Wednesday night. Before we do that, there's four things, four other things I want to give you, and these are groups that you can be a part of, okay? They're groups that you can be a part of at Bellevue. Two are, uh, one of them's ongoing, one of them we start periodically, and so I want to give you some of those, and then two of them are pretty new. And so the first one is a discipleship group. If you have never been discipled, you say, I don't even know what that means. I've heard the word, I understand the idea of the disciples, but I've actually never been in a discipleship group. I'm going to send you an email tomorrow, and in that email, it's going to have a few things, okay? And this is going to be one of them. If you would desire to be a part of a discipleship group, then what we'll do is we will get you teamed up with a guy that will lead you and about three or four other guys. It may even look something similar to what's around your table. Y'all will meet once a week, anywhere from three months to to, to 12 months, depending on what you desire and what you need. And you'll, you'll read books together, you'll study the Bible together, you'll memorize scripture, but you'll hold each other accountable. If you have never been in a discipleship group, I want to challenge you to get in a discipleship group. And so that's one way. Those are going to start up throughout the year. And if you will respond to that email and let me know, I want to be in a discipleship group, we will get you plugged into one very quickly. 
The second one is a life group. Now, I know I look around this room, a lot of you are in life groups. A lot of you teach life groups. But if you're not in a life group, I want to encourage you to get in a life group. We've got some great men's life groups that meet on Sunday mornings. We've got some great uh, couples classes that meet on Sunday mornings. We've got some that are off campus that meet throughout the week. You say, I work most Sundays. Josiah Gwynn's right back here, and he's over our, our home groups. And we've got life groups that meet all over the city on different nights of the week because sometimes those people can't meet on Sunday. We just want to get you plugged in to do life with other people that love the Lord. Okay? We need that. We need that encouragement. There's another group, and it's, it's very interesting. One of the guys that talked to me about this, I believe it was just last week, another guy talked to me about this two days, but a scripture memory group. Okay, Maybe this would interest you, and this is literally what it would look like. It would look like some guys getting together, eating together, and just memorizing God's word. And I cannot think of a better thing to do. I don't think anybody's going to get to the end of their life and say, I, just, I really wasted a lot of time memorizing all that scripture. You know, I wish I would have just memorized half of what I memorized. I don't think anybody's going to get there. What you put in is what's going to come out. You ever say something that kind of scares you? Oftentimes it's because of all the junk and garbage we're putting in. And so I think this would be a great group. And so if, this, if you'd like to be a part of that, that's going to be in that email. I want you to respond to me. And then the last one is a group called Proven Men. This will be brand new. We've never done this before. I've never been a part of it. I've got two friends that have gone through this, and I, I just want to be just completely upfront and honest with you. This is a group that is designed. It's a book. It's a curriculum that you'll go through for 12 weeks, and it is designed for somebody that struggles with pornography. Now, anytime we mention that word, especially from the platform, the room tends to get a little tense. But studies show a large portion of the guys in this room are looking at pornography. Maybe not just on a daily basis, maybe on a weekly or monthly basis, but it is a struggle in your life. And this program, this, this, this group, is designed to help you see freedom in that area of your life. And I've got a couple guys that really want to take some men that say, I want to experience freedom in this area of my life. And so these are four groups. I want to encourage you, if you could be a part of all of them, I'd say go for it. There's no way you could commit to all these. So I want to encourage you to grab hold of one of these. And so I'll send you some information tomorrow, and I just, you just respond back to that email, and then I'll get in contact with you. And uh, you say, well, when does a discipleship group meet? You'll, you'll talk to that leader, and y'all figure out the best time of the week to meet. Does that make sense? All right, so I'm going to send that email out tomorrow. Okay, but on Wednesday night specifically, you say, okay, my wife comes on Wednesday nights, my kids are over there, and we're ending. What am I going to do? Women's ministry has one more week, and then they're done as well. There's a lot of other classes. There's some classes starting next week, but there's some that have been going on. You can go to the chapel. It's in Pollard Chapel. It's at the, on the south side of the building. Mike Crouch preaches that, and it's a great uh, time with the Lord of, of worship and preaching and teaching. And so you could go be a part of that. That's ongoing. You could always jump into that. There's a, there's a class in Guest Central. It is led by Rick Jones. And if you don't know who Rick Jones is, you need to get to know who Rick Jones is. Right? Rick Jones runs our bookstore here. Rick Jones is one of the finest, godliest men I've ever known in my entire life. If I have a question... I go to Rick, Rick or Mike Crouch. Mike Crouch is preaching in the chapel, so those, those are the two guys I go to. I mean, he, Rick Jones is brilliant. He's incredible with apologetics, but he's going through this class, Understanding the Time uh, World Survey, and so that's one that you could just jump into, okay? There's another one starting next week called Cherishing Your Spouse. This is led by John and Sue Desmaris. It's a sweet, godly couple, uh, incredible teachers, and so they're going to lead this class, so maybe it's a class that you and your wife would like to go to. 
There's another class starting next week called Growing Closer to God Through Prayer. This is led by Steve Williams. Steve's one of our life group teachers here at Bellevue, and Steve is what you would call a prayer warrior. A prayer warrior. Steve's a guy you want, when he says he's praying for you, you know you're getting prayed for. And he's, he's walking people how to do that and teach people how to pray. And then there's a class called The Fullness of Empty Nesting. This is going to be led by Tim Shelton. Maybe you've reached a new uh, period of your life where no longer kids in the household and you're figuring things out. That would be a great class, and it's going to start next week. And then the last class that will start next week is Teaching to Change Lives. And if you're tired of hearing me, don't go to that class. I'm going to leave that class, so don't go to that. But we're going to be using a book called Teaching to Change Lives by Howard Hendricks. And so if you are currently teaching, if you enjoy teaching, if teaching is a hobby or something you think you may like to do in the future, I would encourage you to come to that class. We've got a lot going on here at Bellevue. There is a place for you. I don't want to just see you just say, well, I'm no longer going to come on Wednesday nights. There's a place to go, okay? I know I've given you a whole lot of information. That's why I'm also going to bless you with an email tomorrow that will have all of this in there. And what I want you to do is just kind of pick and choose and find out where the best place is for you. Do not leave this place. Do not leave this room without a commitment to totally forgive. I know it's hard. And I know some of you have such deep wounds that you don't think you can forgive. But that's the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit through you can forgive. It's a choice you have to make. You say, Derek, I don't know what they you don't know what they've done to me. No, I don't. I do know this. I know what they did to Jesus. I know what he's offered us, and he calls us to forgive. Do not leave this place without making a commitment to totally forgive. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the time we have had together. And Lord, I thank you for R.T. Kendall. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this man of God who wrote words down on paper, Lord, but I believe. Lord, that you encouraged him and you gave him some, some steps, some processes that we can put in place to be able to totally forgive. And Lord, I know that it's difficult. I know it's a choice we have to make. And I know there's many guys in here that are still convinced in their mind that the person that they would have to forgive doesn't deserve forgiveness. And where that may be true, because what that person did was so horrific, Lord, we know that we cannot walk in victory until we totally forgive. So Lord, I pray you'll bless these men. I pray you'll make your face shine upon them. I pray you'll put a wall of protection around them. I pray Satan will have no place of discouragement or division or depression. We speak against him, and Lord, we just ask that you'll be Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, our banner over these men. Go before them, fight their battles for them. And God, I pray as they have developed a plan of how they will totally forgive someone, that if they need to have a conversation or write a letter, that you have already been working behind the scenes on that person's heart. Lord, that they would receive it. And Lord, we would see things happen that can only be explained by the movement of you. And so Lord Jesus, I pray you'll bless these men. Take them home safely tonight. Thank you for the semester we have had. We love you, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen.